to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the prison and jail system. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, and on Instagram, at Lisa Evers. Follow me, leave me comments, and let's talk. I really want to hear what's on your mind. At Lisa Evers, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, and Facebook. You can text your family and friends right now and tell them to tune in on hot97.com. Um, or 97.1 FM right here in New York City in the Tri-State. No matter where they are across the United States and in many parts of the world, you can also listen to our live stream on hot97.com and, of course, anywhere you are on your phone using the iHeartRadio or TuneIn apps. We are talking about our jails and prison system. Are they administering justice or just creating more problems for ex-offenders and society. Let us know what you think at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Hit me up on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers, and also I'm on Facebook and Google Plus too, Lisa Evers. Now, prison images are trendy in movies and hip-hop music videos and in hit shows like Orange is the New Black, and we're going to be talking about women behind bars in an upcoming show this summer. But there is nothing glamorous about the reality, not for the inmates, not for the staff, and not for the correction officers, and not for the family members whose loved ones are behind bars. Rikers Island has been in the spotlight lately. The correction commissioner says they've reduced the time the length of time that they keep inmates in solitary confinement, especially some of the younger inmates. But at the same time, we heard recently about some inmates getting sick from rat poison in their meatloaf. And then there's there's always the issue, the ongoing issue of violence between inmates and with COs. We're talking about the three R's of incarceration, recidivism, reform, and rehabilitation. And while we discuss this, let's keep in mind that while the rate of incarceration for black males, especially young black males, is higher than for white males, according to the Bureau of Prisons, there are more black men in college today across the United States than there are locked down. So we want to keep that big picture in mind as well. I'm going to introduce our panel to you and open up our phone lines. Uh, Rose is on the phones. Give her a call at one 800 223 9797. That's 1 800 223 9797. Does the prison and jail system administer justice or just create more problems? Let us know what you think at 1 800 223 9797. That's 1 800 223 9797. Joining us in studio, Edward Fernandez. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and the Clinical Director of an Alternatives to Incarceration Program. We're going to find out more about that. Edward, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And also with us is uh, Khalil Cumberbatch. Do I have that right? Yep. Okay, awesome. He's a Policy Associate for the Legal Action Center um, with a Correctional Association, formerly incarcerated. And um, also with us is Angelo Pinto. Oh, no, not the Correctional Association. You're with the Legal Action, legal action Center. Center yeah. Okay, legal action. We've got a lot of legal, a lot of legal <laughs> things going on here. Also with us is Angelo Pinto. He's with the Juvenile Justice Project. He's with the Correctional right. Association, and uh, we're going to talk with him about that. And also with us is 24 year old Kadeem Gibbs. He was arrested. He spent time on Rikers Island and also upstate. And joining us on the phone right now. 
uh, from Washington, D.C. is Bernie Carrick. He's now a prison reform advocate. He did time in a federal prison. He's the author of a new book called From Jailer to Jailed. But you probably know him as a former NYPD commissioner, former correction officer, and former hero NYPD officer. Bernie, thank you so much for joining us from Washington. Thanks, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Why do you say that the criminal justice system is broken and is actually hurting America? Well, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the system in itself, as a whole, is creating a permanent underclass of American citizen. You know, there's a purpose for incarceration. There's a purpose for punishment in prisons. But what I've realized, especially after going through the federal prison system, is that we are incarcerating thousands upon thousands of people every year that don't need prison to pay for their mistakes. Um, We are putting mentally ill and people with addiction in prison instead of getting them treatment. We we don't give them the programs they need, um, life improvement skills, vocational skills, educational skills. You know, in many cases, society has failed them. Their families have failed them. and then we take them into government agencies, and we fail them, too. We don't do anything for them. Uh, there's no real rehabilitation in the, in the federal prison system. Um, on top of that, you take young, first-time, nonviolent offenders, um, especially out of minority areas, um, five grams of cocaine. That's the equivalent of, of two sugar packs in a Dunkin' Donuts shop and you sentence them to 10 to 15 years in prison. These are first-time nonviolent offenders, never had a problem with law. So what you do, basically, is you turn them into thugs, because after 8 to 10, 15 years in prison, that's basically what you learn how to be. That's your education. What was your um, biggest? What was the biggest eye-opener to you? Because you, you put a lot of people away during your career. You were in charge of the correction system. You were in charge of the NYPD. What was the biggest eye-opener to you when all of a sudden they put the handcuffs on you? I, I, one of the things, Lisa, I, I think I, I, uh, that stunned me was, I think, the first-time nonviolent drug offenders, uh, the low-level drug offenders that were getting 8, 10, 15 years, that was one but then I realized also we're, we're incarcerating men and women for regulatory, administrative, and civil issues. In other words, I was with people that commercial fishermen that caught too many fish. I was in with a guy prison. that. In federal prison. In federal prison. I, I was with a guy that sold a whale's tooth on mm-hmm. eBay. I was with young men that enhanced their income on a mortgage application to buy their first home for their new bride federal prison um a a young united states marine sniper he sold a pair of night vision goggles on ebay his own he bought them his own night vision goggles were sold on ebay to somebody that didn't have the right permit in federal prison and i and i realized quickly one all those people i just mentioned not only did we make them convicted felons but we have completely taken them out of the workforce for eternity because any one of uh, any one of the people on your panel can confirm that the collateral consequences of a felony conviction in this country is a life sentence to economic, personal, professional annihilation. All right, Bernie, for, the, you, for the rest of their for the rest of their life, basically forever, forever. forever. K- Kadeem, and, you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Kadeem, you you gone through the system. Tell us tell us how how did you what were you arrested for and what was your experience like? Um, so when I was seventeen, I was arrested on a um, I was apprehended on a robbery charge. Um, you know, I, I think it was an economically motivated decision for me to do so because I grew up in an area where you know it was socioeconomically challenged and. I didn't have access to the opportunities that other people had. Um, I mean, the experience for me was. And who did you rob? Um, I mean, was it, it people, individuals? Was it stores? It, it was an little indi- old ladies. It, it wasn't. It was an individual, but um, you know, the way that it happened, it wasn't necessarily a robbery. I mean, you know, I was, I was going to purchase um some drugs and. I got sold something fake, and I went to go retaliate, and he made a police report, and then that's how everything. And that's how you got caught up. What was it? What effect? You're out now. What's your situation? Um. So, you did I'm, how much time? I did six years. Um. And I'm currently serving five years post release supervision. But the transition for me has been. It's it's been it's been challenging at times, but at the same time, it worked out in my favor because you know like. Not a lot of people like me had the opportunity to defy the odds the way that I did um, and just take advantage of the opportunities that present itself. So at the present, I'm a consultant at the Children's Defense Fund. And the Children's Defense Fund is a national organization that advocates and protects children's rights. All right. Edward, Edward you're a licensed clinical um, psychologist. Mm-hmm. The uh, the psychology, Bernie's talking about people suddenly finding themselves just doing something and then suddenly finding themselves on the wrong side of the law. What does that do to a person's frame of mind? Frame of mind. Well, and Bernie, feel free to jump in too, please. Thanks. Okay. Before I get to that question, I just wanted to give just a, a tad bit of history with that. You know, back in the 70s, you had deinstitutionalization, which was the closure of all the state psychiatric hospitals. Um, what our prison system has become now, to put it one way, is a de facto state hospital. Um, and so, right, when you're in the prison system, just to give you a number, the Times did in 2013, um, in terms of the serious mental illness, we have a upwards of 40% at Rikers that are diagnosed either with a substance abuse or a mental health condition. Um, and we know that keeping uh, mentally ill or substance abuse uh, abusers incarcerated isn't the most effective way to treat the problem. All right. Khalil, um, Khalil what in terms of when you guys look at the what, what Bernie Carrick was saying in terms of the prison population, there are people like that that have those kind of stories, but there's also people that, that are doing things that are, are counterproductive to society and harmful to our communities. Yeah, undoubtedly. So first, I want to thank Kadeem for sharing his story. And uh, while it is a very powerful and inspiring story, I would say that it is very much the exception and not necessarily the rule that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of men, women and children who are released from correctional settings who don't have those opportunities or don't have the um, the right. network of programs and um, resources that Kadeem has had um, since his release. Um, in terms of holding people accountable, when we talk about the criminal justice system and we're talking about reform on a systemic level, I think that that's a part of the conversation that is insinuated, but that's not necessarily the case. So we undoubtedly want to hold people accountable for their decisions, for their actions, but also we want to hold them accountable within the context of systemic issues. So very much like the commissioner said, that there are systemic issues at play. And in many cases, people who are in jail correctional settings 
um, have been failed by some other form of a system, whether that's the educational system, juvenile justice system, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, so we definitely want to talk about punishment in appropriate manner. And as the commissioner said, from his experience, and I can give hundreds more, that there are people suffering, languishing in prison and also on death row who, um, if given the right resources, um, would have been able to avoid prison, um, prove their innocence, or get a appropriate form of punishment. Angelo Pinto with the Correctional Association. You guys, you work with the Juvenile Justice Project. You're talking about the Raise the Age campaign. Definitely. The punishment, do you feel, feel especially our younger teens that get caught up in the system are being unfairly treated and just Definitely. being destined, as, as Bernie Carrick said, to this life of totally unproductive life? Definitely, because New York State automatically prosecutes 16 and 17 year olds as adults for any crime that they commit. Only New York and North Carolina still engage in that practice. What that means is those 16 and 17 year olds are automatically housed in Rikers Island jails and prisons throughout the state. So if a young man is picked up and arrested for hopping a turnstile, he's going to Rikers Island if he's in New York City. He hasn't been convicted of a crime. He might just be waiting to to post bail or to be released. A lot of cases end up being dismissed. So the the other piece that I think is important that's kind of being uh, missed in the conversation is this racial component, right? Mm -hmm. There are communities of color that are are targeted where black and brown folks are doing the same thing white kids are doing in the suburbs and not being convicted for those crimes, not even being arrested for those same crimes. So there's a particular stop and frisk is is a clear example of targeting of certain communities of colors. Uh, the police department... Which the, those numbers have gone way down, though, in the last year, they say. I don't know if they've gone you don't way believe down. That? I mean, I think this is the thing, and I tell folks all this time. In New York State prisons, the population has gone down a couple of ticks, right? But for 30 years, you saw the prison population in the country boom, It was right? going up, up, up. That's right. It went from about 250, 300,000 to over 2 million, right? The other thing that's happening in New York State, as you see prison population slightly decrease, is you're seeing what folks often refer to as open-air prisons. If you go to South Jamaica, Queens, you go to Harlem, you go to the South Bronx, you'll see these mobile command units. Mm-hmm. And they're setting up police forces in prisons and communities. And many folks know, if you live in certain communities, that there's already been a police presence, and the police are heightening that presence. So communities now are becoming de prisons in a way that they haven't you're saying necessarily it's creating before. A, you're saying, I mean, people have their freedom, but you're saying it's creating a prison mentality. It, ha- it is. Not, not just a mentality, but a, a space. Because imagine if folks are leaving the prison to return to a prison of their community, right? Many folks are returning Yeah, but home. they have their freedom. They can walk around on the streets. Not necessarily. Not if you're stopped and frisked in your building. Not if you're stopped and frisked when you... I've been stopped and frisked for walking up and down the street. Not to mention, police have been using an increasing amount of force. I mean, Eric Gardner's case is a clear example, uh, a Kai Gurley, right, of individuals who are not only being stopped, but killed by police for just being in their communities. Well, and police say, but, but I got I to gotta mm-hmm. jump in right there because the NYPD says the... Uh, Actual complaints about excessive force are down. The number of stop, uh, question, and frisk is way, way down. And I don't want to get sidelined mm-hmm, on that. Mm-hmm, I want to focus mm-hmm. on the what happens, Definitely. what happens afterwards, and just in terms of the, uh, just in terms of the actual facts of what what we have to work with. And we know that the stop, question, and frisk at its height a couple years ago, the vast majority were innocent men of color That's that right. were being were being stopped, black and Latino men. Bernie, just in, in in terms of the in terms of the youth and in terms of the way the justice is administered, what changed? Or did you see changes in your attitudes, having been a member of law enforcement? Well, I, I think in my in my position, look, I run two of the largest law enforcement organizations in the country, both the NYPD and Rikers. When I took over Rikers Island in 1995, we averaged 150 stabbings a month. Uh, I dropped that crime, that violence, that internal violence, down by 93 percent. 
uh, staff assaults by 50 or 60 percent. We created enormous efficiencies. In the last 15 years since I've been gone, Rikers now has 10 to 12,000 less prisoners, and they have the same violence, if not more, than I had when I was there, when I took over. So I, I don't know what's happening, or, or, you know, I think it has a lot to do with leadership. But I think as a whole, I think, look, everybody that's, that's on the panel that works for these advocacy groups, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, like them around the country today, they're sort of doing God's work. You know, they're, they're doing stuff that the government should be doing. They're failing. Um, and th- these guys got to come in, and they got to help these kids transition back into society. They have to help them get rehabilitation. They have to help them do all the stuff that we, the government, should be doing. That being said, my focus right now is changes in the laws. If you don't change the laws, the guys on this panel that do this work and people like them, they're going to be doing the same thing 30 years from now. So what laws and What laws do you think need to be changed? I, I think in the federal system, the mandatory minimums and sentencing guidelines have to be revamped, repealed, or, or just abolished, and let judges judge. Um, I think we have to stop putting mentally ill and, and, uh, and people with addiction in prison. I think we need real programs, and I'll give you some... These are real examples, Lisa, of, of some of the things I saw in federal prison. And as an executive who ran a system, I mean, Rudy Giuliani would have fired me if I did this. They have, they have what they call adult continuing education classes in federal prison, ACE classes. Well, no, my ACE classes were, um, let me see, chess, checkers, mm. quilting, um, quilting? a few. And, and I can assure you, I don't think anybody would disagree. Chess checkers, quilting, um, knitting, crocheting, they're not reducing recidivism, number one. Number two... They're not preparing you for a job once you get out. No, and, and here's, here's what's worse. We take inmates that we prosecute for real estate crimes, they go into the federal system, and then the education department within that federal system gives them a job, a task, to teach an ACE class. You know what they teach? They teach real estate. So we've prosecuted a guy for real estate fraud, and then we sit him in a classroom with 30 other inmates to teach them real estate. So there's two issues. This guy's teaching the very topic for which he was convicted, number one. But number two, and worse, you could teach these guys to be the best real estate guy going, the best real estate agent going. He can't get a job as a realtor because it's regulated by the government and he's a convicted felon. You could teach them taxes. You could teach them accounting. You could teach them anything you want. Anything that's regulated by the United States government or some city, state, county, federal regulatory body, there's a 90% chance they can't get that job. Which basically in the end game is we're creating this permanent underclass of American citizen by the millions. We're taking people out of the workforce. We're not giving them the ability to become a renewed whole citizen. They're diminished in their civil and constitutional rights forever until the day they die. In that young black kid that we took out of Baltimore or Washington, D.C., we stuck him in prison for 10 years. I don't care if you turn him into an angel. If that kid lives to be 120, he's still a convicted felon. 
and that conviction lasts with him forever. It's, it's, and it's, I think it's destroying society. All right, Bernie, I want to thank you so, so much for being with us. Hopefully we can get you in studio here when you're uh, back in New York sometime. And the book is From Jailer to Jail. Bernard Carrick, thank you so much for being with us on Hot 97 Street Soldiers. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. Um, that was Bernard Carrick. He was a former NYPD commissioner, former correction commissioner. Edward, when you hear what he was saying, talking about this, the, the stigmas, how do you how do you help people get past that stigma? The stigma is going to be with you uh, for the rest of your life. And as he pointed out, it's also the record that follows. Um, the organization that I work for, Education and uh, Assistance Corporation, runs these task programs and the task programs is a treatment alternatives for safer communities and it's an alternative to incarceration which basically tries to divert um, those people that might end up having a record for a low-level offense but also are managing a substance abuse or a mental health condition and tries to work with the system in order to get rid of those charges so that they have an opportunity to continue to lead a successful life after they're con- after they're convicted. Kadeem, what about the uh, y- your experience when you came out? Were you able to get in the program right away, or did you have you know did you have some issues? Tell us what it was like for you coming home. Um, <clears throat> it was a mix of both. It was a mix of both. Um, I definitely had access to opportunities, which is why I'm fortunate to be in a position that I'm in now. But on the other hand, you have people that, like we alluded to already, um, the stigma is there. Um, it's like a, you know, people feel like once you have a conviction that they they always going to continue to judge you based off of something that you did. Even though it was something that happened when you were a teenager. Right. And... I mean, and again, like like Angelo alluded to, I mean, and this is why, you know, I do the advocacy work that I do as far as the Raise the Age campaign is concerned. Um, there's been research that that's, has shown that the cognitive process doesn't end until you're about 25 years old. So when you... When Basically, you, they say your brain isn't fully right, formed until you're 25 years right, old. So if you're talking about a, a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid that's making a decision at that time that he sees a benefit to him at that time. At know, that I, moment. Right. He obviously doesn't... You know, he, he his trajectory isn't, isn't developed enough for him to understand what the consequences entail other decisions that he's making. If you hadn't done time, if you hadn't got caught up in that situation at 17 or 18, 17, where do you think you would be now at age 24? Dead, honestly. Really? Yeah, I mean, like you know, that's why I think that I'm unique in a way in which I kind of found a moment of clarity while I was doing that time, while I was going through that process. Um, but that's not the case for the other 34,000 or so young people that are affected by the, this existing policy in New York. Um, I, for me, I think it was it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because um, it kept you off the streets at right. a time when it could have been the most tense and dangerous for you. Right. All right, 1-800-223-9797. Hot 97 Street Soldiers streaming live on hot97.com across the United States and many parts of the world taking your phone calls. And also hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, at Lisa Evers. Let's go to Dave from New Jersey right now. Dave, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Ahead. Hello, yes. Hey, Dave, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, I just want to, first, I want to commend you guys for doing an excellent job in trying to promote such a uh, great organization. You know, I just want to give you that. Um, second, uh, I would like to talk about this topic because, you know, I've always had mixed reviews on this topic of incarceration. The incarceration system is, is not the greatest. 
because, you know, like every other system, it has its flaws. Um, I feel that, you know, as time progressed, the flaws became more evident. Mm-hmm. And, and I deliberate, too. Really, I, don't, I don't really see it getting any better. You know, uh, for your question which you, in particular, you asked, I'm sorry. If you can repeat the question, that'll be, that'll be a bit, it can better. You know what? Out. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on hold for a second. We're, we're gonna take we're gonna take another call in the meantime, and I'll give you a chance to get your thoughts together. Let's go. Uh, let's go right now to uh, to Frederick uh, Wilson. Frederick Wilson is he's got a YouTube video that's out. I don't know if you guys saw this. He has a YouTube video that's had over one million views. He says basically it's time for the black community to get over racism and slavery and for people to take individual responsibility for their ideas. Frederick, did I sum that up pretty much right? Uh, pr- uh, pretty close. Not necessarily get over racism, but just to understand that that's, you know, that's going to be a part of our society for probably forever, sadly. But stop using that as a crutch. Stop using, you know, the things that have happened to us in the past and the things that may still happen to us as an excuse to not have things together and be like, well, I can't succeed because, you know, the white man won't let me type mentality. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's not true. Excuse me, Frederick, a lot of times Frederick. you can't succeed because you're standing your own way. Frederick, are you a black man? Yes. Do you not understand the plight of our people in this country? Like, do, do you? I absolutely understand the plight of the people. But with that being said, Look how many black people, millions of black people have been able to succeed. So maybe we should ask ourselves, why did they make it? And the ones that are succeeding, what are they doing to where they're not able to make it? Now again, there's a lot of things being done to them, but it's not always, you're not always the victim. Sometimes, again, you're standing in your own way. I don't think folks are saying that they're the victim. I mean, even when you look at the individuals, and there's plenty who have transformed their lives after being incarcerated, while incarcerated, there's folks inside right now who are leading programs transforming the lives of folks before they come out the reality is none of those folks are saying racism did this to me none of those folks are being um given a victim package or giving a package to change their life because they use racism as or saying racism is important the reality is if you don't address the race problem as you shift laws and this is always what happens white folks end up becoming the privileged folks who benefit from those change of laws. The gentleman who was on earlier was talking about shifting laws because a, a guy sold a whale tooth and a sniper. He wasn't talking about black and brown folks. And oftentimes when they're talking about reform, that's not who we're talking about. The reality is the system is not going to pay attention to black and brown folks. But what's important is to acknowledge racism mm-hmm. exists. There's disproportionate impacts as a result of it. And now black and brown folks will have to do what we've always had to do and address our problems mm. so it's important for the young folks to also be aware of it there's a lot of young folks right now who are oblivious to what's going on in their communities they're oblivious to the fact that they're going to be targeted there's they're a bit oblivious you're saying that the too that, that, that there are two, sy- two systems of justice two systems of justice basically it, depending upon your complexion and it's, depending I, upon think your race. It, I think it goes it goes far and statistically you're right there's a, a disproportionately large number of men of color in prison compared to white men but frederick what do you say to that how do you how do you deal with that well okay there, uh, just a couple of things he said he was talking about you know those that are incarcerated that are doing great things and that's what i'm talking about yes do great things positive things okay you're incarcerated you may have made mistakes whatever thing like that but now you're moving positive that's awesome but as far as addressing the justice system, is there, are there problems in the justice system? Absolutely. You'd be blind and a fool to not notice that there are problems in the justice system. One of those problems is racism. But the thing about that is, what can you do about that to help yourself? Maybe start by, now again, there are people out there who don't commit crimes that get framed. That's a whole different subject. But for those of you that are committing crimes, maybe if you stop committing the crimes, 
and get yourself out of the justice system so you don't have to deal with the justice system. Yeah, okay, and what, 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 what about the mentality? But, Go ahead. Yeah, we've got this mentality where it's like a lot, I'm going to say a large part, well, yeah, a large part percent of our population, not all, I definitely want to put that there, not everybody, but we glorify, you know, the crime style life. Yo, oh, you go to prison, oh, you're just paying, you're earning your stripes in the street life. Maybe we need to start glorifying positive images so that with these young people, they're not oblivious. They understand, like, yeah, you know what? As a young black man, as a young black woman, you know, there might be times where you encounter things that young white people don't have to encounter. You need to understand but I would that. Excuse, I so would also don't add, make choices that make it harder okay, on yourself. Okay, and to his, and to his, you and his, well, to his point, on, on Instagram, Ali Savers, Big 444 says, Hi, Lisa, jails can't destroy generations. If you stay out of them, you can't make excuses when you, you mess up. Yeah, again, well, so what, what about just, that? I would just add to that point that we keep focusing on the individual. That's like, right. We really need to start talking about the systemic issues. Right. And if we were to but be the talking individual about... From what, but the individual can control what the individual does, true or false. This but when the system, when the system gives you, when a person is a product of a failed educational system and they cannot graduate on time because their high school, junior high school, elementary school, in some cases is heavily over-policed. That's right. They're heavily criminalized pr- primarily because of their socioeconomic and racial background and then they lead so then that leads them into not having a good wage job which only leaves them to have make two decisions both of which are evils but yet never and still they choose the lesser of two evils so Yes, individuals. Okay, we want to hold individuals accountable. Yeah, go ahead. But Fre- at the Frederick. same time, we want to acknowledge that there are systemic issues at play. All right, Frederick, go ahead. Okay. Respond. I, I totally agree with what uh, the person said about the systemic issues in the education system. But let me pose this question. Why is it, as he said, as a community, as a black community, uh, when somebody is shot and killed by the police, we'll go out there and protest and ride and loot. Why are we out there protesting the situations in our schools? Why do we always wait for something people extremely negative yeah, people to happen? Every day. And to get really, 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 really people, vocally there's and movements to stop the school prison pipeline. But not in terms of doing that. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of movements. But in terms of what he's saying, the the mass. You know the mass protests. But we we're see talking tens about of thousands of people in the, the streets. That's because we're of media visibility. We're only talking about what we're seeing in the media. So that's a huge. Point that we need to d- right. make clear is that the media is o- is w- the media is only covering things that are sensationalized, and of course, when people are when people are rebelling, not rioting, because of right. the oppression that they're facing because of inaccurate law enforcement in their communities, then yes, of course, the media is going to run down and sensationalize that. But, but the, the media sen- covered the me- the media of which I'm a member. They cover we covered many many peaceful protests, tens of thousands, and hundreds good, of thousands but of there people. Are also, hundreds of other media outlets that are not. All right, we're going to continue this. Well, okay, Fre- Frederick, 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 is, hang, Frederick, stay with me. Frederick, stay with <laughs> stay with me, please, because we need to take a short break here. We're on the clock, okay. and uh, when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. We are talking about the prison system. Does it help us, or does it just make society, the inmates in our communities, weaker and worse? And uh, also, I want to let you know. You know what's coming up. Sunday, June 7th, Summer Jam 2015, starring Kendrick Lamar, Chris Brown, Trey Songs, Big Sean, Fabulous, Meek Mill, Ty Dolla Sign, Omarion, Childish Gambino. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Made hot for you by McDonald's Chicken Select Tenders at Lisa Evers on Instagram, 1-800-223-9797 on your Hot 97. We'll be back right after this. It's not rocket science. What do people say when they go on a summer jam? I'm going to summer jam. I'm going to summer jam. It's only five words. I'm going to summer jam. I'm going to summer jam. But some people still f*** it up. I need you to go, I'm going to summer jam. Yeah, boy. No, 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 Aisha, I want you to say that part. I'm going to summer jam. Floor seats to Hot 97 Summer 
Jam every hour this week from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. What do they say when they go to Summer Jam? Yeah. Nope. I'm going to Summer Jam. There you go. That's right. Thank you, Hot 97. If your car shakes, rattles, and barely rolls, trade it in. John Loman here from Loman Auto Sales in Woodbridge, New Jersey. This week, I'll give you up to $5,400 more than your trade-in is worth. Save, save, save up to 50% off original MSRP on 2014 pre-owned vehicles. Get interest rates as low, low, low as 1.9%. Listen to this. To help you get approved today, I'll say yes, 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 and double your down payment up to $5,000. Even if your credit is wrecked, ruined, bruised, battered, or bankrupt, or you have no credit. Don't worry. My banks and lenders look at you, 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 not your credit score. That's right, you, not your credit score. And my goal is 100% auto credit approval. This week, let's put together a low payment plan that gets you into the car, truck, or SUV of your dreams. Everybody drives. I'm John Loman, and I'm a dealer for the people. Only at Loman Auto Sales in Woodbridge, New Jersey. For a hot VIP appointment, call 888-928-5189. That's 888-928-5189. 89. Wow, that's a fax machine. Yep, I'm applying for a home loan. But Janet just showed me this new thing from Wells Fargo called Your Loan Tracker, where she uploads documents with her phone and signs important things electronically. Why don't you use that? Oh, I'm not with Wells Fargo. Bummer. With Your Loan Tracker from Wells Fargo, the home loan process just got better. Learn more at wellsfargo.com forward slash loan tracker. Your Loan Tracker not available with all loans. Talk to a mortgage consultant for details. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Equal housing lender. Wendy's presents Fred in Looking Up. Oh, boy. Great. The elevator's stuck. I love when the elevator's stuck. What's gotten into you? Oh, just this honest tropical green tea from Wendy's. Mm-hmm changes your whole perspective. Okay, you do know we're trapped though, right? On a tropical island. With no lights. On a starry night. Need a sit-me-up? Only Wendy's has new Honest Tropical Green Tea. Organic, lightly sweetened, and hints of mango and pineapple flavors. Now that's better. At participating Wendy's. When my girlfriend of two years asked me what my five-year plan was, I should have known to include her in it. I did not. Now I know. Just like I really should have known that Geico has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. 75 years. I had no idea they'd been around that long. I also should have known that they're the number one auto insurer in New York. We should all know these things. Now I know. And now you know. And now I'm single. Know anyone? GEICO. Celebrating over 75 years of great savings and great service. Now that you know GEICO has been around for over 75 years, it's time to let you in on another little secret. GEICO could help you save money on motorcycle and RV coverage. That's in addition to car insurance. Not to mention the GEICO Insurance Agency could help you save money on homeowners and renters coverage. But this is no secret. Tell someone. Tell everyone. Be the worst secret keeper ever. Spread it faster than a middle school rumor. GEICO. More than just car insurance. To see how much you could save, visit GEICO.com today. And this is my impression of me arguing with an old-timey Southern lawyer in a courtroom. Objection! You can't show my clients' rates to your customers! We compare our progressive direct rate and our competitors' rates in one place, so shopping is easier. Only showing your rate when it's lowest! Slander in the court of law! New, we show our rate even when progressive isn't the lowest. Uh Uh-oh, I rest my case! Move to adjourn for snack time! Compare rates and save at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Did you know that not all headaches are the same? 
Excedrin products provide fast headache relief for different types of headaches when used as directed. Visit your local Rite Aid and consult with the pharmacist to help you choose the right product for you. Find your headache relief at Rite Aid this week and get any Excedrin 24 or 30 count product for just $3.99. Check your Sunday newspaper for additional savings. Hit it out of the ballpark. I'm Cindy with Lee's Toyota. And while some dealers can't get to first base, you can score a home run deal at Lee's. People come from near, far, and in between to shop our three big showrooms at one location. Amazing low prices, zero financing available, and great leases. If you miss coming to Lee's, you'll miss getting a lot for less. Family owned and operated for over 50 years. See what a great deal really is at Lee's Toyota. At the corner of Hillside Avenue and Queens Boulevard. Call 718-657-LEE's. Discover Aloft Hotels, where the experience is designed forward, the social scene is vibrant, and guests mix and mingle at the WXYZ Bar at more than 100 destinations around the world. Check out special offers and book now at AloftHotels.com. What's going on, New York? It's Laura Styles, and here's what's hot on the streets on Hot 97. Join Team Hot 97, the Eagle Academy Foundation, the King Movement, and Power is Industry at the King Above the Rim Celebrity Basketball Challenge featuring Wale, Jadakiss, Ja Rule, Hot 97's DJ Enough, Camillo, Nessa, me, Laura Styles, Megan Wright, and more. Happening at Mount Vernon High School on Saturday, May 30th. Get ticket info at Hot97.com. And enter on Hot97.com for your chance to see Raekwon and Ghostface Killer Monday, July 20th at Irving Plaza. This is Trey Songz and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, on Instagram, at Lisa Evers, Twitter, at Lisa Evers. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I've been doing some stuff, you know, fooling around with Periscope, live from various scenes that I'm at, covering them for Fox 5 News and also our events here for Hot 97. So you can check me out on Twitter. Please follow me there, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers. And uh, before we get back to our topic, which is behind bars, the prison and jail system, and what effect it has on our communities and the people who go through it, um, I just want to send our condolences, rest in peace to the family and friends of uh, Chinks Drugs. We're hearing that early this morning, still want to confirm all this officially, and I'll be posting it later on today once I get the more details. Apparently, early, early this morning on Queens Boulevard, uh, we're being told he was driving in a Porsche, and there was some type of carjacking, and he was shot and killed. So our condolences go out to him, and we'll be checking into that more. So please follow me on Instagram, at Lisa Evers, and uh, Twitter, at Lisa Evers, and I'll be posting you more information, because uh, I'm going to get the official uh, official story. So our condolences go out to his family and to, and to his friends. Joining us in studio, continuing our discussion, Edward Fernandez. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and clinical director of an alternatives to incarceration program. Khalil Cumberbatch, policy associate for the Legal Action Center, formerly incarcerated. Angelo Pinto with the Juvenile Justice Project, the Correctional Association of New York. And Kadeem Gibbs, he's 24 years old, now working with the Children's Defense Fund. He was arrested, did time in Rikers Island and, and also upstate. And on the phone with us, Frederick Wilson. He's got a YouTube video uh, talking about his views and some of the prevailing notions uh, that some have in the black community. And it's got over one million views. He's hitting a nerve, whether you agree with him or disagree with him. And uh, your phone calls at 1-800-223-9797. Let's go right now to uh, Ryan from New Jersey. Ryan, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you. Um, 
I just want to say I'm a third generation bail bondsman in New Jersey. <clears throat> I deal with people coming in and out of the system, you know, on a daily basis. Um, I've been around the system pretty much my whole life, you know, since since I was born. Uh, there are people out there who need help for sure, and I think it can make a big impact in their lives. But then there also is a group of people who don't want to change and basically commit crime like a career. It's a career thing for them. They just, no matter how much you want to change them, they're not going to change. And that's just my one comment and my last comment, and then I'll get off the phone and clear some space for you, is uh, when talking about racism, uh, I hear people referring, you know, to white racism, but I just don't want anyone to make the mistake that there's no racism in the black community. I mean, there's racism in all communities. There's racism in the black community, Latina community, any, every community out there. So it's not just a, a white thing. And uh, those are my comments. Uh, no, they're, they're de- All right, Ryan, there definitely are. Thank, thank you very much for the call. Khalil? Yeah, I would just say that um, that gentleman mentioned that he was a third generation bond billsman. And so that obviously shows that <clears throat> so that obviously shows that his that his family um, has a certain language and a certain career that they've chosen. Very similarly, men and women and children who go through the criminal justice system have also been given that same narrative. But their 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 quote unquote career is quite different. And again, I would say say I would hold that in the context of failure of systems so it's very interesting that he mentioned like that this is his career but he says but, but there's also there, but and let's be real I mean let's let's keep it a hundred as we always do on street soldiers there are career criminals there are people who just they like they like it they and study it they want to hold people accountable but there's what percentage million, but though. what percentage Angelo mm-hmm. of the people that go through the system especially our younger people what percentage of them fall into that category like you know, on the track to being hardcore, and others that got caught up, and then one thing snowballs, and before they know it, they're they're doing things they never dreamed they'd do. Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you speak specifically of sixteen and seventeen years, it's really hard to call someone a career criminal. We spoke earlier about brain development, so I think that's a bit a bit of a stretch. But when you look at the sixteen and seventeen year olds in New York State who are incarcerated, we're talking over thirty thousand every year. The vast majority of them commit nonviolent crimes, right? Nonviolent felonies. And most of the cases end up being dismissed after they serve time, are removed from school, and traumatized by being in some facility. So the reality is most folks who are committing crimes are committing nonviolent, usually drug offenses. Michelle Alexander did a book called New Jim Crow, and she talks about the Which we had her on the show, right? That's the reality of it. There's a lot of drug offenses, and that's how you got the prison boom. It's as a result of drug offenses. It's not these career, hardcore criminals who are going out there committing violence. There's about 2 million people in United States prisons. If all of those folks were committing career criminals, the United States would be in a whole lot of trouble. Frederick Wilson, what do you say to that? Well, so the whole, with, uh, with the gentleman that was just speaking right now talking about the young people committing nonviolent crimes, I get the point he's trying to make, but it's the bottom line is they still committed the crimes. Now, let's, let's take this back to, to the root. What do you mean it's not true? You just said they committed crimes, but they're nonviolent crimes. What I'm I mean, saying they, is some people... Crime, but correct? they're still crimes. No, no, I'm saying some people are wrongfully convicted. Some people are wrongfully arrested. Not everyone who is behind oh, absolutely, bars. Absolutely. So that's that's my point there. All right. Well, let's, just for the sake of argument and time, let's stick to the people that actually committed the crimes. Because yes, we know there are a lot of people out there that are in the justice system wrongfully accused. But let's speak to those that actually did commit the crime. Now... A lot of, there's a lot of talk right now about maybe we need to legalize drugs because we got so many people in the in the justice system because of drug-related crimes. They shouldn't be. Okay, that's all fine and dandy. But as of right now, at this moment, drugs are illegal. If you know drugs are illegal and you still choose to partake in, those, partake in that lifestyle, then when you get caught, 
you, it's kind of hard for you to turn around and be like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. Well, you know what? Had you not done the crime, done the act that you knew was illegal before you did it, it's hard for you to sit back and cry about what's happening to you. Frederick, when you... And again, we can take, take all that back to, to upbringing and parenting. You know, again, this glorified lifestyle where, you know, like Chris Rock said, you get more respect coming out of prison than you do coming out of college. We need to change mindsets like excuse, that. Excuse me, Frederick. To bring younger people away from the criminalistic life. What, what, about, what about his point, though, Kadeem, where Frederick's point where he's saying in terms of the respect, in terms mm. of what's considered like you're more of a man coming out of prison, like, yeah, I, I survived. I did a bit, five year bit, I'm whatever. And, you know, or I did five years, including first year graduate school mm-hmm. from college. What about what he's saying in terms of the hood, the way the hood looks at that? Um, from a personal perspective, I, I don't I don't agree with that. Um, it, it is true in a sense. But, I, you know, to touch back on his point about these people that are committing these crimes, as he called, we, we got to understand that we, we live in a nation that over criminalizes everything, especially in black and brown communities. You're talking about being 50, 60 years removed from obtaining a formal education in this country being illegal. This is what we're talking about, Frederick, and we're talking about these drug offenses, and the book that um, Angelo alluded to earlier, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, there's studies that have been shown that in white communities, drug use is 17 times more rampant, yet these people are, are apprehended and convicted at 46 times less than people in black and brown communities. And we're talking about... Okay, 16, so white people on, are doing hold on, hold on, hold on. We're talking about, hold on, we're talking about young people. No, there's, talk, a lot of studies that, there's a lot of studies that say we, whites do a lot yeah, more drugs. We're talking about young people. We're talking about people that are 15, 16, 17 years, 10 years old that are more impressionable at that age to be influenced by, by outside influence and by their peer group and things like that to engage in those activities that on the flip side of that are, are also more prone with the right interaction with the right intervention with um, access to the right resources and opportunities can be more receptive to prog- progressive change and also responsive mm-hmm. at that age That's, these are the people that we're talking about this is the population that we're talking about Frederick you- what about that? Okay couple things. You said we're about 50, 60 years removed from that. The, the key thing in that is removed. Yes, it happened, and we got over it. Like, okay, there was a time we were not allowed to get education. But last time I checked, we're allowed to get education. So what we weren't allowed to do 50, 60 years ago, okay, great, but we moved past that. And then you were talking about the young either. people that were impressionable. You were yeah, talking about the young know. people that were impressionable. And I, I totally agree I with that. To here's, that. But here's my question, though. Where are the people who are responsible for promoting them in the right direction? In order to have a black child, you must have a black man and a black woman, correct? That's just basic biology. Oftentimes. Where are those people? The, the onus is on those people to make sure that, okay, we just created this child. We need to do our responsibility, our due diligence to make sure that this child grows up to be somebody, to make sure that this child understands that, you so, know what? So let me ask you a question. It, it always comes, it always, okay, okay so, all right, hold on, I got to bring in somebody else in the conversation. It always comes back to... That those those first early years, you know, who was there right. for their child? Was it the, was the mother there? Was the father there? Was there a grandparent there? Was there somebody there? Let me just bring in real quick. Milton Conway is a former New Jersey State Correction Officer at the notorious Northern State Prison in Newark, New Jersey, which I did a story on for Fox Five about uh, prisoner abuse, inmate abuse there. Thanks to Lynn Broadway, shout out to her in Newark, and um, also Milton, you you also ended up behind bars. Tell us about that real quick. Yeah, back in, um, I worked at Northern State Prison uh, from 1997 to 1992, and I, I resigned from that post to actually pursue a business with my younger brother. And then in 2005, I was charged with a sexual assault charge by a young lady who uh, I helped raise, and those charges were pretty much dealt with through the process, and I was allowed to plead to a resistant arrest charge because all the other charges just fell away into nothingness. But I spent six months 
of my life in Exus County Correctional Facility from the February of 2005 to August of 2006. And what I have to say is that what most people miss is that there is a, a culture that's established inside the jail and prison system. And it's established because of the dehumanization policy that is employed by the correction system. To dehumanize, when I first worked in corrections and I was in the training academy in 1987 and I saw them place the word on the screen, dehumanization, I looked at that and said, whoa, whoa, I paid attention in language arts class and the, the prefix D is the removal of, suffixation is, is the process of. So we're going to be in a process of removing these people's humanity and the thought just hit me at that point looking at my colleagues sitting shoulder to shoulder in that auditorium was when are we going to give it back to them? So I worked there for five and a half years and I never saw anybody rehumanized. I never saw anyone receive what was needed to give them back with that which is taken from them in that process. All right, that's a, that's a very important point. I want to I want to get um, our licensed clinical psychologist Edward Fernandez on that one. Milton Conway, thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Edward, what about, Edward, what about what he says quickly in terms of the in terms of the humanity, getting yeah. your humanity back because when you go into survival mode, you you have to become desensitized just to make it through whatever ordeal you're experiencing. Right. You know, Actually, he was talking about, uh, Mr. Conway was discussing about the training that he received, the humanization. Um, there was a study done uh, by Zimbardo, and I think it's a Psych 101 type of study, the Stanford Prison Experiment. And basically, they just randomly assigned people to either be a prisoner or a prison guard. And what you, they found was it did, you didn't need any training to dehumanize someone. Just the role and the title uh, led to this experiment having to be stopped. Uh, just because of uh, ethics concerns and, and what people were going through. All right, Frederick, I'm I'm almost out of time here. I just want to give you a quick minute to sum up everything, real quick. Um, definitely, definitely appreciate the conversation today. I mean, again, I think that's that's a huge thing. Is we need to keep talking about these issues, not just talking about them, but acting on them. But definitely, at the very least, talking about these issues, getting different points of view, different perspectives. Um, it's and the thing, it's a complicated issue. Like how we went from a situation where we're talking about incarceration, and we can take it quickly all the way back to you know upbringing, education, raising kids. I mean, in the black community, we have far too many baby mamas and baby daddies, and not enough mothers and fathers. You know, so you can start there and and go on from there. But it's definitely a conversation that we need to keep having, keep speaking about it, keep acting about it. You know, everybody get involved in your communities, do things you know, to, to better ourselves. You know, you see something, say something, speak up, and let's try try to change this negative culture that we have, again, to where in a lot of areas, again, prison is, you know, yeah, good good for you, you just did a bid, yeah, and then college, like, oh, you can educate, all right, well, hey, whatever. You know, we need to change that, flip that around. No, definitely. But definitely, definitely love the conversation. All right, we'd love to have you back. Frederick Wilson, thank you so much for being uh, with us. Check out his YouTube video. And also, we're talking about solutions. We were talking earlier about how difficult it is for for you to find a job when you do have a, have a record. And I just want to bring in one guy who's doing his own part to with solutions. His name is Mike Brady. He's the CEO of Grayston Bakery. And um, he believes in hiring chronically unemployed people, including former uh, former offenders. Mike, thanks for being with us real quick. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Now, you have no problem hiring people who have a criminal record. Tell us why, because a lot of employers would just shy away from that or just avoid it completely. Yeah, well, that's it's it's part of a long heritage. We had a, an incredibly visionary founder 30 years ago that uh, built our business based on non-judgment. 
And so we're only concerned with what people are capable of doing in the future. We don't, we're not concerned with what they may have done in the past. And have you ever had a problem with somebody who had a record, you know, uh, committing a crime while they were working for you, which is something I think a lot of employers would be concerned about? You know, I think the better question to ask is, do we have any greater incidences of issues than any other employer? And the answer is no. And in fact, uh, you know, we're, it's better thought of as grace in the food manufacturing facility. We've achieved world-class status by hiring anybody that comes through the front door. And we have never seen an instance where someone that had, uh, you know, a checkered past was any worse um, uh, likely any worse an employee than someone else that you might have spent the time interviewing or, or checking the background on. That's fa- that's fantastic. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now who would like to find out more. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> more more about your company and where they can apply. So, uh, can you give us some contact info if people want to find out more? Yeah, absolutely. Go go to Grayston dot com. Uh, we we had the good fortune of doing a TED talk myself and one of our speakers, who's a c- incredibly inspirational guy. Uh, who had a uh, past incident in jail, uh, and he's turned it around, and we gave him a chance. Uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's uh, located in the Yonkers, and like I said, you, you walk in, you put your name on a list, and when we have an opportunity, we'll take take people off the list. Mike, no that is, that. M- Mike, that is so great, and thank you so much for uh, for being with us. We like to end the show with a positive note and give people some hope, and that's Grayston, G-R-E-Y-S-T-O-N.com. We're speaking with the CEO, Mike Brady, and yes, if you just Google him, he's been on, uh, there's a YouTube TED talk, talk, CBS News 60 Minutes did a story on it, CNN did a piece on it, so it is getting, your your approach is getting a lot of attention and your experience and I want to thank you so much and, and keep up the great work we really appreciate it Lisa my pleasure I'm really glad you're hitting on these topics they're incredibly important alright Mike Brady thank you so much we really pre- really appreciate it and um, just real quick in terms of this idea that there are things you can do Edward how important is that for people coming out of the situation uh, extremely important to be to become a, a productive member of society once you're out um, so um, within the prison system, you expect rehabilitation. That's not actually what's happening. So these programs like Alternative to Incarceration do assist with that once you're back out in the community. And Khalil Cumberbatch with the Legal Action Center, mm-hmm. tell us about what, for people that are, are hearing or have a lot, hearing this, coming just coming home or have a loved one who's coming home or about to come home, what are some of the things they need to do? So one, I mean, I think... Again, looking at the systemic level, we need to provide people with the appropriate opportunity. So, yes, many people coming out of jail and prison do not want to go back. And I know that's maybe shocking to some of the listeners, particularly Frederick. But the reality is that we have policies and laws in place that bar people in many cases from some of the most um, from some of the most needed resources when leaving prison and jail or any institution particularly employment higher education the fact that a person has a felony conviction it follows them for the rest of their life as the commissioner was saying at the top of the hour so we want to remove those barriers in terms of someone coming home look at you know look for people um, who have taken advantage of those opportunities um, align yourself with them and at the same time think about what it looks like um, for you know like what the trajectory is if a person continues to follow down a path where you know they're ch- making choices for the lesser of two evils Angela Pinto real quick people want more info or get involved yeah um, you could check out the correctional association.org uh, raise the age campaign and I just want to say one thing really quick yeah go ahead I, I mean I think that pa- one of the things I would have liked to see today is to force to really talk about about 
the the reality that you don't necessarily need prisons. Prisons don't rehabilitate. It's shown that once a person goes into prison, they're going to come out and recidivate at higher rates. And there are alternatives to incarceration, alternatives to detention that have shown to be proven. We can be a world without prisons. It can actually work. And the reality is this. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery, except we're punishable by crime. The reality is this is still a mechanism of social control for particular communities, and that has to end. There's no way around that. All right. Thank you very much for being with us. And, and Kadeem Gibbs, final word? Um. June 2nd is our lobby day in Albany, um, the Children's Defense Fund. That's right. Um, raise the age. I'm, I'm, yeah, raise the age in New York. Um, I'm at Kadeem Gibbs on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah. All right, and then let's uh, <laughs> we'll try to continue the discussion on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Definitely. hashtag behind mm-hmm. bars. All our, uh, our guests will join in on that if you want to make some comments or whatever. I want to thank all of you very, very much for, for being here, talking about this uh, topic. So many phone calls. Shaia, Anthony, Andres, Victor, Christine, Dana, Chris, everyone else that's on hold that we didn't get to your telephone calls. I'm so sorry, but... Uh, it's always a time thing. Mm-hmm. Bring us back next week. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> next week's Memorial Day weekend. We'll have a special show for you saluting our uh, men and women in uniform and the sacrifices that they've made for our country. And also, I want to say a big shout out to everyone who is graduating from elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. And also, congratulations to the graduates of special programs that are winding up right now. Special thanks to everyone at Arrive Exponents. Thank you so much for giving me the Soldier of the Year, the first Soldier of the Year Award for giving voice to the concerns that people don't often hear about. I really, really appreciate it. Big shout out to the another award recipient that night, the one and only Kim Watson, helping people in the community, and also to my special friend, Dr. Elisa English, and Howard Josepher, the CEO and founder of that. And big shout out to all the graduates of Arrive Cycle 134 and the Arrive Postgraduate Cycle 15. It is so inspirational to see people who are facing challenges in their lives, whether whether it's incarceration, substance abuse, other issues, emotional, psychological issues, and triumphing over them, and uh, and health issues too. And it just it was such an inspirational night Thursday night. I want to thank you so very very much for uh, for honoring me that way. And I want to thank everybody here at Hot ninety seven, our program director Pio Ferro, music director my girl TT Torres on the men coming back strong just in time for Summer Jam, our digital director Jeffrey Thacker, and uh, also my Street Soldiers team couldn't do it without you guys. My executive producer, the one and only Tone Capone. If you have an idea for a show. You know what the deal. I'll talk to you on the streets, but the one that makes it happen is Tone Capone. <laughs> Hit him up at Tone, the number four real, at gmail.com. That's Tone, the number four real, at gmail.com. And also our producer, Rose D, production assistants also with Melissa Quinone, from Melissa Quinones. Thank you. And our board op and digital assistant, the one and only TJ, making it happen digitally for us. We really appreciate it. And uh, remember, Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers, Google+, Facebook. Check it out, please. Let me know if you like it. And also, all our Street Soldiers episodes, including this one, will be posted, most of them, are posted on uh, LisaEvers.com, as well as my Fox 5 videos. Call, you know, Check me out, Fox 5 News at 5 and 10. You can be a part of this show by calling or by emailing Tone Capone, tone the number four real at gmail.com. And uh, have a great week, everybody. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Before I say I'm Lisa Evers, coming up next is the Kid Yogi. Check him out. Hope you have a great week. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace. It's a hot 90-
Kendrick Lamar, King Coach, everybody wanna cut the legs. Chris Brown, it's your boy Trey Song. Yo, what up? It's your boy Meek Millie, Big Sean, Lamar, Rihanna, Fab, and I'll see y'all there. June 7th at MetLife Stadium. Summer Jam is less than three weeks away and it's gonna sell out. Check out the entire lineup and buy tickets now at hot97.com or win your tickets this weekend on Hot 97. Made hot by McDonald's Chicken Select Tenders. WQHD and WQHD 